We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. Hi everyone. I've been kind of struggling with the title for today uh, and I decided that it was always good if it was about love or Jesus, so I thought we'd stick with finding Jesus. In Jeremiah it says, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with your whole heart, whole heart. And, uh, and I want today to talk about something called desperation. And um, I feel like God's been turning up the temperature on some of us. And uh, we've talked a little bit, quite a lot about hope and the importance of hope as a driver for reaching into what God has for us. But here's the thing. The word despair is about losing hope, isn't it? About giving up. And yet when you're desperate for something, it almost means exactly the opposite. And I want today to, to look at some situations where people were pretty keen on meeting with Jesus. And we're going to unpack it and talk about what it means for us. In my Bible notes this week, I read this. You were created for an intimate relationship with God. Jesus came to make that possible. Sometimes I find I get distracted caught up with other things. Even my work for God can distract me from my relationship with Other times, I'm absolutely desperate for God's presence, his mercy and grace. When we find ourselves in this place of desperation, nothing but the presence of God will satisfy. Desperate times lead to desperate measures. I felt a bit like that on Thursday. I even felt a bit more about that on Friday. But I was wondering about... This, this little phrase just came to me. See, does, does God seem far away? Or does, does, do you feel like other people have a closer walk with him than you? Does it frustrate you that people like Paul in the Bible seem to walk through on a kind of bubble of faith whilst you bounce along encountering life's difficulties? Does God seem to not care? When God seems distant, we can lose sight of him. And the distance can build up through neglect. It can happen because of tragedy or disappointment. And the enemy would want you to stay there, to stay where you are. We know we shouldn't feel like it, but we retreat from him, from others. And then we start, the enemy has this other strategy of saying, well, you should never have felt like this in the first place. And so then you start to feel guilty about feeling like you do, and you end up right down a hole. But of course, it was never like that for people in the Bible, was it? As the deer pants for the water... So my soul longs for you. My soul thirsts for you, the living God. Where can I go and meet with my God? My tears have been my food day and night. When people say to me all day long, where is your God? It doesn't sound like someone walking along a kind of bubble of faith. It sounds like someone who's being taunted by others about the absence of their God, not one who's walking in the presence. We were walking in Epping Forest a few uh, years ago, and we were walking up this particular path we go, and, and I saw through the trees just in a moment. For some reason, I'd ended up on my own on a walk. Can you, fathers, can you ever imagine how that could ever happen? But anyway, the family seemed to have separated themselves from me, not that I'm a victim, and I was walking along, and suddenly through the trees I saw a deer, and it was just, it was just quiet. Well, obviously it was. And it was like this most unexpected privilege that for a moment there was just me and him, or her, I'm not actually very good at 
gendering. Don't go there. And, and I saw him and I thought, it was like we were the only people there. And there's just something so amazingly quiet, actually, about a deer. And when you see them running, and he ran off, and he seemed to make almost no noise on the crunchy leaves of the forest. And then when I read this psalm, I, I think about a deer that's been running, running away from something. And it's felt it hard to stop. And suddenly there is this drink of water. You know, Jesus promises that we should be able to drink of his spirit. And the psalmist goes on to say, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. The psalm talks of a change in, the, in his relationship with God. And, uh, and I believe we can experience the same. How about Psalm 69? I'm worn out, calling for ho- help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. These are really strange psalms. And psalms which talk about it being hard to connect with this living God. Yet, when we read the Song of Songs, the Song of Songs, which is the most strange book, but talks about the relationship of of Jesus Christ with his church, he says of us, you have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride, You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. That moment when you first met someone special that made your heart beat faster, there is something that dominates in that kind of interaction, in that kind of relationship. And there's something about the way that his eyes engaging with us should kind of take your breath away. He promises never to leave or forsake. And he promises that that he will be with us always. So my encouragement to us today is to let's look at some of these people and how they felt far from God and how God used them to come back to him. See, when we experience a difference between our... When we experience the difference between our experience and the promise, then we need... We can, we can find hope and faith. Because Hebrews 11.1 says that faith is confidence in hope, what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. But we're surrounded by people that have dealt with hurts that some of us could never even imagine. Never imagine. There are people in this room today, I'm sure, that have got backstories that we don't know. And God's saying, I know. I know what you've been through. And that nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. I haven't got that in my notes. I, I just feel that there's just something for us today in that. And I, God wants to bring hope to someone who's feeling very hopeless today. When you look at, this, at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, they're written a bit like newspapers. Sorry, I'm going to get back on script now just for a moment. We'll come back to that. They're written a bit like newspapers. They've got like headlines in. They tell you what happened, but they don't tell you much about the emotional interaction of the characters. Now, there's this story in Matthew 1 that very briefly sums up Joseph's situation. Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit because Joseph... Her husband was faithful to law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. I can't imagine, well I can actually, can you imagine the kind of conversations that went on in that situation for Joseph? 
Well, I'm going to help you. I've got a short film that helps you to imagine that, so... How could this happen? I'm just... I'm just speechless. If we were getting married, I thought God was with us. Every time she speaks, I guess she was from my born. I feel so betrayed. I feel so alone. I don't believe it. I just... I just can't. Because if it means what I think it does, she's broken my heart. And she won't... She won't stop with the half-truths and the lies. Of course she's played away from home. Either that or she's putting away the pies. It breaks my heart. She's left me for another guy. But what makes it worse is her obsession to lie. I don't want your excuses. It's still deceit. At least give me the decency of admitting you're a cheat. She tells a story. Listen, Joe, an angel appeared. Is she taking a mick or just being weird? Joe, I'm with child, a boy, a son. You know there's an heir to David's throne, she says. Well, he's the one. So, so you're giving birth to God's chosen son? This bun in your oven, then, he's the one, as in the one who will reign for all the time. <laughs> Mary, have you had too much wine? Look, just, just save it, all right? You made your bed, so lie in it. Oh, hang on, you already did, and there was someone else there with you in it. And that's what I stormed off and made my exit. Why did she do this? I don't need this grief. I don't want a divorce, but it's the only course left for me. The wedding's off. She's had an effect. You don't believe me? The proof's right there. Then later that night, I had this dream. An angel turned up, said, Mary's record's clean. Don't cancel the wedding. Don't freak out. It was through God's Holy Spirit this miracle came about. My heart skips a beat. I can't take this in. The angel says, call him Jesus, because he'll save people from this sin. So then I woke up and did what he said. And a bit later on, Mary and I wed. Some months later, Jesus arrived. There were wise men with gifts and shepherds at his side. And when I remember his humble birth, the penny drops of why he came to this earth, I don't believe it. I just, I just can't. Because if it means what I think it does, he's God incarnate. The embodiment of God in skin and bone. My stepson will live amongst us, so we'll never be alone. And here's a point I need to tell. Jesus' name is also Emmanuel. That's good news you can trust, because his name means God is with us. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Then Joseph woke up, and he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. In his desperation and brokenness, God met with Joseph, healed his heart, and showed him what he intended from his own. He gave him a hope and a purpose beyond himself. Joseph had never got anything wrong, and yet he found himself in this intolerable position. And the Bible just has this, like, short verse. And I just want us to just imagine for a moment that you're living it. I'm going to read now for, uh, a longer story from Mark 5. Jesus raises a dead girl and heals a sick woman. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. 
He pleaded earnestly with him, saying, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered much under the great care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realised the power had gone out from him and he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see, you see the people crowding against you, his disciple answered, and yet you asked, who, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Let's just pause a moment there. Do we think that Jesus needed to find out who it was who'd done it? Or do we think he always knew? Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him now except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Jesus' command of the crowd must have been tremendous, don't you think? He's got this whole troop of people following him on the lake. They're all pressing in. And now when he goes to Jairus' house, he's only got these four people with him. Sorry, three. Can't count. When they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion, the people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and disciples who were with him and went in to where the child was. He took the child by her hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means... Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. And he gave them strict orders not to tell anyone about it and told them to give her something to eat. Desperation. Jairus, a synagogue leader. The nameless woman and Jairus' daughter. They all met Jesus in this story. And they're all in pretty desperate situations. Jairus is a synagogue leader. He's the guy in charge, and yet he's at the feet of this homeless, wandering preacher, begging him to come to his house. The nameless woman, the nameless woman is just unable to, to even approach Jesus at first, but knows that somehow touching him will make all the difference. And Jairus' daughter, well, she's so sick she can't even get out of the house. And Jesus comes, Jesus comes to her. So we're going to look at each of these in, in turn. Imagine for Jairus... Meeting with Jesus means letting go of your status. Are you prepared to swallow your pride, to fall at his feet, and to surrender all over again? There is nothing we can bring to him in comparison to his overwhelming love and, and righteousness, his goodness, his faithfulness. When we come to him, we might be coming to him in good faith, but if we're not prepared to let go of what we've got, then we'll never really meet with him. I want to look at the nameless woman. We'll come back to Jairus in a minute. So here she is. She's embarrassed, I think. It, according to the Old Testament, 
when a woman is bleeding, she's unclean. This woman had been unclean for 12 years. She would have been a reject. She would be rejected by those close to her. Untouchable. Physically, she would have been exhausted. Medically, she'd be exhausted. If she's bleeding all the time, she's got no iron. She'd be really ill. And on top of that, she has this guilt that tells her that she's unclean and unfit to come in the presence of God. And yet God, in Jesus, had a different story and called her daughter. We don't need to follow the natural prognosis or reasonable expectations for the situations that we're in. Jesus wants to make the difference in situations which are long, lock, locked up long-term and without hope. In verse 26, it says, she'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. Maybe some of you have got some sympathy with that. Doctors don't always know what they're doing. And I think in this day, <laughs> they particularly didn't know what they were doing. She'd spent all she had. There was nothing she wanted more than to be made well, to be made clean. And instead of getting better, the Bible says she got worse. Embarrassed and ashamed, she can only approach Jesus in this crowd from behind. But what she doesn't do is she doesn't let the crowd get in her way. She's prepared to push her way through. I don't know what gets in the way of you getting to him. But don't let anything get in the way. We have to be those that will push it out of the way. Because when we meet with him, he changes everything. Jesus knows who it is who's touched him. But he sees the healing she also needs, which is not a physical healing, but about being a woman with a name and a face and a relationship with him. And he calls her daughter. He calls her out. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. She was expecting judgment, but instead she found a place of relationship. She found a place of belonging. An encouraging word you might find, not find in the Bible. Things get worse before they get better. Personal testimony. When I first met with God, um, I was a student, and I struggled a lot with IBS, uh, irritable bowel syndrome. Um, it had been part of my life for some time and a real nuisance, and when I got stressed, it wasn't very pleasant for anyone around me. It was debilitating and literally draining and it would manifest itself at inconvenient times. I remember visiting a friend at Sheffield University. Now, I don't, know, I don't think we've got any students come back from Sheffield here, have we? But I remember their hall of residence was special because they didn't put toilet paper in the toilets because students wasted it. So every student was given toilet paper, and they had to take it with them. So you can imagine I'm staying with someone, and I have IBS. Anyway, it, was, it wasn't pleasant. I've passed my ability to tell toilet stories onto my son. Some of you may have heard some of these toilet stories. Um, but anyway, that's, a, that's another story. Um, and I remember one time I was visiting um, this really nice family in the Christmas of 1989, about 30 years ago. I'd not been to their house before. Um, and um, Mr. and Mrs. Wilson, it was. And lo and behold, Boxing Day, I was anxious to make a good impression, I don't know. And I remember her dad praying for me and said, you know, sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. And, you know, it did. But I certainly made an impression. God healed me of that IBS. It was after that point that the bouts got less. And actually, I don't get them. Jairus 
here has gone to see Jesus. He's got in his mind, he knows his daughter is dying, but if I can just get Jesus to come, he will sort him out. This will make it work. Can you imagine the conversations in the house with his wife, perhaps with his daughter? His daughter asked for Jesus? I don't know. We don't know. It's, it's one of those un, untold bits of the story. And he's on the way with Jesus, and Jesus gets caught up with this woman, and he's asking her, you know, who was it? And he's doing all this, and I'm thinking, I'm Jairus. Oh, just get a move on, please. Could you just... Oh, well, okay. And then we hear that Jairus' daughter has died. Jesus is laughed at because he's too late. I mean, healing, maybe Jesus could do, but she's dead now, so you're too late. But actually, he came at just the right time to show that, that his words were the words of life. He raises the girl back to life, and he looks after her physical needs. There is nothing in your life that is beyond hope. There is nothing, you know, there is nothing that is beyond God's grace to change. Sometimes, I believe, God wants us to know simply that he is God with us. One of the criminals, I was thinking about this, who was with Jesus on the cross, hurled insults at him and said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. You know, sometimes we can face sickness in our lives and we can say, Lord, don't you care? Or we say it's a situation and we say, Lord, don't you care? I want to get out of this. This is, not, this is not for me. This is not where I want to be. Jesus was on the cross and one of the criminals is saying to him, look, why, why are you letting this continue? But the other criminal rebuked him and said, don't you fear God? Since we're under the same sentence, we're punished justly for what we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And Jesus said, and said to Jesus, remember me when you come into, my, into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus didn't take that man off the cross. Now I don't want to get caught up in whether or not we deserve sickness. When Jesus was asked whether the man born blind was born blind because it was this man's sin or his parents' sin, he's very quick to say, actually, it, it, none, nothing to do with that. There are some religions that say, oh, bad stuff happens to you because you make a mistake, right? Stuff happens because God's given us a free will. and He's given us a world in which there is a multiplicity of life. There's life that's so small we can't even see it. Things called microbes, and they do things, viruses and bacteria, and they do things to us that aren't always good. And that is part of this creation. And, and actually, I can't, I can't change this creation all at once. But then he will create a new creation. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And there will be no more sorrow or dying or pain. And that kind of stuff, the old order of things, will have passed away. That stuff will be dealt with. But right now, God's promise is that he's with us. God in skin and bones, so we'll never be alone. His promise that we'll be with us. And the enemy's lie to us is, no, he's not. He's just, he's just somewhere else. He's just not looking at you. He doesn't even think of you. But I believe whatever you're facing, Jesus is right alongside you. And I think that this is an opportunity for us to draw near to him, to celebrate that fact that Jesus is our Emmanuel, our God with us. And whatever we face, he's here. 
He cares for you. He loves you. He doesn't want you to be alone. He's the one who knows what it is to suffer, and he's here to be alongside. There are many problems in the world, Jesus said, encouragingly. In this world, you will have trouble. But he doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care if you're timid and shy, young or old, a leader or an outcast. He listens to us when we attack him head on with our pleas. He listens to us when we feel unworthy and we're pressing in from behind. But there is no barrier that our sickness, our disbelief, and especially our sin can get, can build to be an obstruction to love. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk, on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at lifelineuk.com.